Hello and welcome to Corruption Chronicles, the true crime story of everyday people who find corruption in their communities and how they turn it to good governance. I'm former Mayor Debbie Peterson, your host. This is podcast two in the Canagreed Amy and Biker series. Canagreed documents the corruption and greed of the current California cannabis industry, focusing on the harrowing story of my co-host in this series, Daryl Cotton of 151farmers.org and his journey as a medical cannabis patient, caregiver, and pro se defendant who demands integrity from our elected representatives and public servants. Stay tuned to learn all about it and find out how the same government corruption that affected Daryl might be affecting you and your community right now. Last week, we met Amy Sherlock, the widow of longboard sports hero, Biker Sherlock. Biker was the transformative personality who set up two San Diego dispensaries, one in the city and one in the county. Then, just before they opened, His body was found at his favorite surf spot. His death was ruled a suicide. But as more and more information came to light, Daryl contacted Amy to tell her that maybe it wasn't. Amy hired a private detective and turned over the evidence to the San Diego Police Department, asking them to reopen the case. In this second podcast in the Can Agreed Amy and Biker series, Amy tells us what happened on the day her husband's body was found and what led her to believe that Biker's death is not a suicide. Biker wore a black hat and black shorts most days, so we honor him by wearing a black hat and tipping our hats to Biker. Hi, Daryl. Hey, what's happening, Debbie? Thanks for having me. So, Amy, last week you sent an email to the city of San Diego, to the mayor, the city council, the city attorney, the detectives, the police department, asking them to reopen the case of your husband's suspected suicide, maybe more. And you gave them until the 10th of May, and we're now here sitting at the 12th of May. So what happened? What did they say to your email? Did they respond? Um, Hi, Debbie. Thank you for having me again. Um, I got no response. Nothing at all. Nothing from anybody. Hey, well, (laughs) I think we'll leave that there for now. We'll come back to that. Uh, What's the next step? Since folks heard about Biker's death, and his his involvement in the cannabis industry in the last podcast. I, what I'd like to do is find out a little bit more from you about what happened next. I was interviewed by an investigator um, and the police. Um, I did give them a lot of information, which um, did not make it into the police report. Um, I was interviewed for about a half an hour. I showed all of my uh, concern that because Viker was new to the cannabis industry, that I was concerned that that put him at a higher risk for foul play, but um, it didn't even make the police report. They just admitted it. It wasn't even there. So you're telling me, so you, you're you at home in the morning and you, with your boys, presumably, or they've gone to school, and then you hear um, from a detective that they've found your husband's body and they start to question you and they completely ignore everything you tell them about the cannabis business, the cannabis industry, what, what he had. They, com- they completely ignored all of it. It's not even in the police report. There's one sentence from me that I was concerned about um, that he has having some business problems. That's the only one sentence from his wife. Well, so what did they put in the police report? Um, they put in a, a narrative from my brother-in-law 
um, that, you know, he was um, confused and that he was suicidal and he had all these um, issues with work and that, quote unquote, they were talked about little things all day the day that he died. That's what was in the report. So that's kind of weird. So they said, first of all, he's confused, he's suicidal, he's struggling. But on the other hand, all he did was talk about little things. Yes, that's that's what is it. that's basically what's in the police report was that um you know he was just concerned about little things like uh, the kids getting new shoes or something like that. It really it didn't really make any sense. So the entire narrative of who your husband was and what was going on with his life was provided by your brother and your sister's husband, not by the wife, not by you. That's correct. I have one sentence in the police report. And Everything I said was ignored. What was your take on on how Biker was doing? Looking back on it, um, Biker was um, really stressed out. And I did know that he did have some issues that were going on with getting the the permits put together, of course, because, you know, the, the city was notorious for moving the goalposts. Um, they would, you know, a year into it go, oh, you don't have enough parking places. Oh, shoot. You know, so he was just having that problem over and over and over again and trying to jump through whatever hoops that they were trying to get him to do. So he was really frustrated um, and stressed out. He was had a lot of people, um, investors coming in and everything. So he was definitely not the normal biker, the happy-go-lucky biker that he normally was. Um, but, you know, looking back, it was, he had a lot of reason to be stressed out for sure. Did you, did you have any reason to believe at the time that he was suicidal? No, I didn't believe he was suicidal. Um, biker loved life more than anybody else. And, um, it wasn't until I was given the narrative of what happened that, you know, he had messed up everything, that he blew it. Everybody was walking away, losing money. And, you know, Biker was kind of the bad guy. That was what I was told. And then, you know, um, my brother-in-law brought over his friend to my house and told me that he was a CTE expert, like the concussion syndrome that um, football players get. And he questioned my family, Biker's family. And convinced us that um, Biker had committed suicide. You hear Biker's died. Obviously, it's incredibly traumatic for you and your family. That's in 20, that's three weeks before Christmas in 2015. Then you're told what was wrong that um, Biker, who'd done most of the work, Biker, whose name is on every document, um, Biker, who was the front man, the celebrity, who did the near impossible of getting two cannabis permits. I don't know anywhere else that anybody else succeeded in getting a cannabis permit in the same city in the same county. Um, um, but they told you that there's nothing there because you because he screwed everything up. Is that what they said? That's correct. With um, the Balboa dispenser is what we were calling it, um, that he blew it. They were walking away from it, that it wasn't happening. And, you know, it, that's it. So so basically, once you found out about Biker's death, it sounds like almost everything that happened was. I can't think of the word I want, coordinated, organized, staged by your brother-in-law. She knew he had, Biker had been granted these licenses, right? You knew about the licenses, so that because that was a huge victory. And you knew he had business partners, so he had shares in companies. Right. The other one in Ramona, up until, um, gosh, 2020, I was told that I was still part owner. Oh, And I felt sorry for him. I really felt like, wow, I missed all of this, that he had put all of this into it and he was closing down his business and walking away from it as a, a failure. That's what they had told me. Um, so it was, you know, I asked multiple times if, you know, I needed to sign anything, that there was any bank accounts, any anything like that. And I was told no. 
Who, when you say they, who are you referring to? I'm referring to my my brother-in-law and uh, Bradford Harcourt, who was a biker's partner. Actually, I, I never heard from Brad Harcourt after a biker died. He never came by and gave us condolences or gave me a hug or sent flowers or anything. I never heard from him. Was the autopsy something you asked for or was it the the county that did that uh the the county did that i guess i guess if you're if a body is found in a public place they automatically do one i see okay and and so for how many years uh did you you just figured this was what was going on for four or five years and then then what happened what changed your mind um well yeah it, it was what i had to believe it was all the information i was given um everybody covered their tracks really well. And it was really, you know, Daryl coming to me and saying, you know, um, Biker had this permit in his name. And then, you know, a few months later, it shows up in somebody else's and they went into business and they actually owned a dispensary there. Did you know about this? And um, that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And Daryl also showed, you know, shared his concern that uh, Biker was probably didn't commit suicide, that, you know, he he did have these permits and he did actually end up having um, physical property as well that I wasn't told about. You were suspicious because you saw some of the same attorneys and same individuals coming up again and again and again. And then you saw what happened and you saw suddenly Biker was gone after getting two dispensary permits. Yes, I private messenger on Facebook, and I'm sure this was a difficult message to have to receive. But uh, once she said, I think you spent about a month thinking about it and did your own research, Amy, and then thought maybe there is a reason to talk to Mr. Cotton. So I was available to her and prepared to either not even hear from her, drop the matter or act on it if she felt this was worth uh, further investment. Amy, what, uh, that was 2019. So that was four years later. Daryl had finally, he'd seen all of this and thought he he just had to talk to you. He remembered that he'd been asked to meet with someone dodgy the night before something, you know, the night before an event. And Daryl surmised some of these things you're telling us. Oh my goodness, it looks like he was the straw man. He was the person they put out as their front man. Um, but really it was going to be run and organized by other people. Um, and, and so you contact Amy, Amy, how did you feel about that when you got Um, that message in Facebook? You know, I remember reading it and, um, immediately it just tears started just felt like falling out of my eyes. Um, just to think that, you know, there was all of this going on behind my back (laughs) and, you know, while I was just sitting there, you know, mourning the death of my husband, um, it was devastating. And I, and I remember, um, I remember crying so hard. So for four years, you're thinking, yeah, he committed suicide. He screwed up his business. I don't have anything because he screwed up and these guys are taking care of me. And and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you get this messenger message. Um, and that's when you started thinking, maybe everything I'm being told isn't what I thought it was. That's what That was the beginning of trying to unfold what I was told and what um, what actually really happened and um, everything that I was told and was a lie. And the information and, she was given. Yes. By, um, by basically my brother-in-law because um, Bradford Harcourt never came and even saw me or emailed me or anything. And I would like to interject here. This is all public record. There's civil lawsuits going on. These people have been named. There's discovery and responses going back and forth. But at the end of the day, based on information she's found, she's prepared to make these statements because it's supported by the evidence she has. Right. Here, Amy is told that everything, you know, she's thinking up until 2019, everything she's being told is true. And she gets this, so she gets this mysterious, odd 
message that's very upsetting. So she goes to, of course, who does she go to? She goes to her brother-in-law. When you brought this to uh, Stephen Lake's attention and you said you got this information from me, what was his response? Don't talk to him. Don't talk to me. I don't want you talking to him. Yeah. Why not, though? Well, now it's kind of obvious now that I know. Um, but then, I, it, you know, I he just made it sound like you were just some crazy guy that was just making stuff up. Okay, so you get told, oh, no, that's just stupid. Don't pay any attention to that. Look the other way, dear. So mm-hmm. what did you do? Well, I did the opposite of that. <laughs> and, if, and if you all get to know me, you'll you'll find out that, you know, just telling me what to do usually doesn't work. So um, I, I, I followed my own heart. And, you know, in trying to find justice for Biker, I... I started digging. I looked into his autopsy report. I looked into the police report. I started doing freedom of information requests. And I sat there with Google and was, you know, looked up statistics and words and everything. And there was some things that like just even being a lay person that were pretty obvious to me that there was foul play and it had been ignored. And it was also, um, there's just a couple of sentences on, on what you would think there would be a lot more information. That was another clue to me that there was a lot of information missing or that they- Was that in the autopsy or the police report or- Both. When did you find out that there was actually an operating dispensary? Um, when Daryl reached out to me in 2019. So in 2019, here you'd been told, biker screwed it all up. Everything's falling apart. It's all his fault and there's nothing left for you. Everything- belongs to his partners. So all the month, the family money that he'd invested and the fact that he had gotten two dispensary licenses, everything had his name on it. The property had his name on it. It was all licensed, approved, all in biker's name. He had done the work, the business plan, um, hustled for two years, gotten it, did the job. And then you're told he completely screwed up and there's nothing there and you get nothing and he gets nothing back. Then you come to find out that there is a dispensary operating. When when did Rizuki and Milan actually start operating? Immediately. It, see, they relied on the fact that there was a forged document that his partner at the time, Bradford Harcourt, had used to go to the state and say, Brad, uh, Biker Sherlock is no longer part of this corporation. Uh, we're going to have a successor entity. In this case, it would have been uh, uh, Bradford Harcourt himself. His name was forged in dissolving his businesses and, and submitted to the state 18 days after he died. So, Daryl, you you sort of put forth what sounds to me like a theory that a detective would put out there. They were going to investigate this as suspicious, which I, we would all agree they should have initially. Then they would sort of maybe work up a theory like, OK, so maybe he was the front man and somebody murdered him to get the dispensaries. And it sounds like that's kind of what you arrived at. Am I correct in that? I'm going to answer that in two parts. One, um, the fact of the matter is, is when you look at the police report, uh, there is nothing that goes to motive. So knowing what I know about this, uh, I call it the cannabis cabal, uh, they're not going to be named and the motives are going to be ignored. And Amy, as a result, is not going to know the full spectrum of what happened and why. So motive wasn't included. To come to a reasonable conclusion, the cause of death without considering motive in this matter, you know, required that she get a private investigator and turn up more of this information. And then the second thing that led me to believe, obviously, there's problems was then a key employee that had worked at the dispensary, not only did an interview in 2018 saying Biker's death death was not, his name was Philip Zamora. And he had insider knowledge. He sat in these meetings with the attorneys and the various people that had orchestrated this, uh, this scam. I sought him out 
found out he was a San Diego resident, which would be expected, and asked him if he would agree to come in and, under oath, give us uh, an idea what really was going on over there, clears up any misconceptions that they are working on antitrust monopolies to try to build these cannabis dispensaries in their names and using the proxy or straw man people to get those licenses. Do you know why Zamora would have come forth and issued an affidavit in this matter? Did he have any kind of uh, you know, compensation? Was he offered anything to do so? Um, I've only met Phil um, after he did the affidavit. I'd never met him before that. He got no um, other than a, a thank you. He has no reason. Um, honestly, he probably put himself in a little bit of danger and put himself out there by doing it. Do and, right and that's thing. what you've needed. People from the inside willing to come forward and do what's right. And he was willing to do that. He was actually happy to do it because he wanted to make the record clear that these are criminals running this dispensary and that Amy Sherlock had been taken advantage of. In the meantime, there's a whole backstory here where the people that weren't qualified to own that license are now suing each other. And that is what I see a lot. They do. They, they, they all, they're like sharks. They all go, they all start trying to eat each other. Rizuki and Milan are the people that operated in straw man to take the dispensary away from Amy. Normally in a situation where someone is widowed, the business partners will approach the widow or widower and they'll suggest a buyout, buying them out of their shares, buying them out of their property. But that's not what happened here. From the time Biker got first approval of the dispensaries in 2015 until 2021, one of them had changed ownership and financiers six times. The principals who took over right after Biker died started suing one another within two years of taking over, claiming their dispensaries were worth $44 million. They were threatened with foreclosure. They went into receivership. And then one of the principals who took over after Biker died put out a hit on one of the other principals, and now he's in prison. Here's an excerpt from the Candid Chronicle mentioned earlier by Daryl by Cara Anderson, November 28, 2018. Dispensary owners hire informant to assassinate business partner. Salem Rizuki, owner and silent partner of cannabis operations worth over $44 million, was arrested by the FBI for conspiring to have his business partner, Ninus Milan, kidnapped and killed. Sylvia Gonzalez and Elizabeth Juarez were also charged in association with Rizuki. The three parties are facing two charges, conspiracy to kill, kidnap, maim an individual, as well as conspiracy to kidnap. Salem Rizuki and Ninus Milan have been business partners for years. The two own multiple cannabis companies in the San Diego area, including the Balboa Avenue Co-op, aka Treehouse Balboa, and Golden Bloom. The second article comes from the U.S. Department of Justice, conspiring to kidnap a former business associate with intent to intimidate or murder, February 10th, 2023, from the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Southern District of California, San Diego. Salem Rizuki was sentenced in federal court for conspiring to have a former business associate kidnapped, admitting he conspired to have Ninus Milan kidnapped and taken to Mexico to be intimidated or murdered. The victim had ongoing business disputes and civil litigation against Rizuki and others, which could have resulted in significant monetary judgments. 
the person they solicited and paid to commit this crime, contacted the FBI immediately, leading to the arrest of Rizuki before the plan could be executed. These defendants callously conspired to kidnap and use violence to resolve a business dispute, reducing the value of a person's life to a dollar figure, said Stacy Moy, special agent in charge of the FBI San Diego field office. The tireless work of FBI personnel alongside partners in the DEA, the San Diego County Sheriff's Department is another example of our agency's collaborative commitment to public safety and our determination to bring criminals to justice. And there are contact numbers here for the U.S. Attorney's Fred Shepard, 619-546-8237, and uh, Chital Thacker, 619-546-8785, and Derek Coe, 619-546-7680. If you have more information on any of these matters, please contact the FBI or these assistant U.S. attorneys. Prompted you to get a private investigator looking into this? Well, after I, I started getting, I got into getting a, a private investigator after I realized that everything that I was told was a lie. Um, when I first saw the signature, I knew it wasn't his in a heartbeat. Like I, it's, it was- let, let me make sure I understand. So 18 days after his death, a document submitted to the state. This is the dissolution, the dissolution of the corporation with Brad Harcourt. Mm-hmm. And it's got biker signature on it, but it didn't look like biker signature. It's it's not even close. But this is her brother-in-law she's dealing with. You know, he's telling her things and helping her a little bit here and there. If you see what he's written in his responses and his complaint, he's provided all this money and these opportunities for biker and the family. When in reality, he's inventing things and uh, it can't be supported so, by the evidence. And your understanding was that at the time of biker's death, one of the the county dispensary in Ramona was already up and running. It was operating? Uh, it wasn't operating when Biker passed away. It was about a year later. The The county made them widen the street and, you know, do a whole bunch of construction. It was probably about a year later. But um, my brother-in-law led me to believe up until, oh gosh, I, when I found all this out, that I was still an owner. Your brother-in-law told you, he said, well, it's okay because there's still this one dispensary and and you own it. Yes. As Biker's widow, you own it. Okay. And then you come to find later, he was just lying. So what'd you do with that information? Um, well, I, I hired an attorney and, you know, I, I started pursuing stuff, um, trying to figure out what happened. Um, but it really was, it when I realized it was like everything that I was told about what happened to him was a lie. Um, I started it like, well, you know, Maybe the suicide was too. So um, I got a copy of his autopsy and I have to tell you, it was probably one of the most awful things I've ever had to do. And nobody in, should ever have to read their husband's autopsy the way that I did. And with that, you had an independent medical examiner review the uh, postmortem indications that the county coroner came up with and ruled a suicide. It, yes. It, you know, um, having no real medical background except for being a pharmaceutical rep, when I read it, there was some things that really bothered me. He had a contusion on his forehead and it was basically square. Um, that bothered me. They ignored all of the other physical evidence um, that seemed to me as a, a lay person um, was very obvious to me. And they spent no time bothering to explain or even kind of bother prove it was really a suicide. I mean, we would all think that, like Daryl was talking about this proxy practice, if you find a body and it looks like a suicide, that the police would do like just a little bit of their job and go, okay, there was a square contusion, like 
was that a pistol whip? You know, why, why would he have that there? And when people say like, oh, maybe he slipped and fell. Um, no, this, we're talking about biker Sherlock. He went 90 miles an hour on a skateboard. He did not slip and fall. Walking on the beach. Sorry, it doesn't happen like that. No, mm -mm. because that has been allowed to go on. um, That is how there's just been a a ton of criminality that has been the result that the courts have allowed it to happen. They're not enforcing the laws. They're not not enforcing the laws. And it, it, you know, it set Biker up if if Daryl's theory is correct, which I think it probably is. I don't think anybody's come up with anything else any better. Um, It's it was the it it gave it a, a an environment to just fester. It was like a petri dish, and you know, and it's to all of us regular people, it's pretty obvious what would happen if you put undisclosed people like, okay, well, you're a drug dealer, you can't be on their permit. Well, what happens? Well, he doesn't get paid, right? So then, what happens? That's what Bradford Harcourt is suing Rizuki Milan for. So if you go to justiceforamy.org, these are the criminals fighting amongst themselves and trying to use the courts to enforce illegal law. That's the fundamental problem. Bradford Harcourt, in addition to having something to do with forged signatures, is now having to sue Rizuki Milan on entities that didn't even exist. Here you are. You get this thing from, uh, you're told that there's no dispensary, but there is a dispensary. Given the licenses that were issued, it would appear that it was running up and running within three months of Biker's death. And all the while you were told it had been totally screwed up and there was nothing there and you had nothing to receive. And um by your brother-in-law, which of and course that, you would. Under yeah, the he also added that biker's work was worthless. I see. Oh, okay. Nice, kind of nice of him to say. <laughs> I can understand why you might be a little angry. Oh, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, there's that whole other aspect to it. And um, these guys are crooks who will put up front people, whether they're women or men, but I, I can't help but think along the lines that you brought up a little bit earlier. And that is that, you know, it hasn't been that long since women were considered chattel, since everything that a woman owned was because Mm -hmm. of a brother, a father, and they had, whether she'd inherited or not, she had no rights to it. And even up until the seventies, women couldn't even get real estate loans. So, so this kind of thinking and behavior and, and this kind of um, socializing that we've all received men and women well, here it is. Here it is, Amy. Here, you're a widow. You don't matter. He's dead. It doesn't matter. Your yeah. children don't matter. So surely you were, um, you were able to go to the city or the county and ask them to give you information on these things. Did they give you, what did you get from them? Uh, Daryl and I went to the city and uh, this was early 2020, like January or February. And when we went to the department of, uh, I'm Deve- sorry, the development. Development Services Services Department. Department. Um, All they did was put my name in. And when the lady came out to talk to me, Sherilyn Gray, was that what it was? Sokolowski. She came out and on a sticky note, she had the attorney's name and basically just handed it to me. She said, we don't talk about litigation. I was like, what litigation? Like I honestly, at this point, I was hoping I would find a contract, a transfer, um, you know, something legitimate because I didn't want my my family to do to rip me off. I was still hoping I was loved and taken care of and that everybody did the right thing for me. And what I came into was a full on full stop. We're not going to help you. We have no documents, Mrs. Sherlock and sit down. And that was basically like they, she wouldn't even talk to me. Did you go and, to that's, and that's not what you went in for. You didn't go in to do a lawsuit. You went in just to say, can I have the paperwork? Well, she went to the mayor's office too. I went to the mayor's office. I wrote mayor 
Faulkner at the time, I wrote him an email and never even heard back from him either. Nobody cares. They are the the pinnacle of how it happened. They um, they were the ones who um, do the permits that would have done the transfers. Um, they're the ones that, you know, won't give me any information. Um, you know, Steve Lake did give me um, emails where Edith Gutierrez at DSD is asking for biker's death certificate, my marriage certificate, and me being the executor of the will or his estate. Um, you, you clear well, that? Unfortunately, you, I'm not even copied on the email. Not even copied. And you did I'm not a background copied. check, right? I mean, the license, the permit's in your name. Did you clear a background check? Uh, no, I never did a background check. I never knew that the permit was put into my name. I, After multiple FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, I was doing very broad questions. I want any and all information at 8863 Balboa Avenue. You know, just trying, that's how we, we started to figure out how the the actual physical real property was changed hands because they just deeded it to themselves. I, I did get some project numbers and some um, approval numbers and I went onto their website and started plugging those in. And it's sort of like a evolving sort of circle of numbers and poof, that's where I found the permit in my name where I see Amy Sherlock, the permit holder that I'd passed the background check. What did think you think? What did you think when you saw that? actually went in my bathroom and vomited. I, I was so disgusted by what my brother-in-law, what Brad Harcourt and what the city, like, who are these people? Why would they do that to me? This isn't Iran. Like my brother-in-law doesn't speak for me. You don't have any paperwork from the county, do you? They're not providing you with anything. Is that right? Uh, yes. Um, I've looked into getting the information about the Ramona um, dispensary on Olive Street in Ramona. And um, I, I put in a, a FOIA or a uh, mm-hmm. records public request, records request. Yeah. with uh, public re- records request with Department of Cannabis Control um, back in August. And I still haven't gotten anything, nothing, no response, no response to investigating uh, bikers death or even the forgeries that were that in the armorist report as well, um, where, you know, they dis- dissolved his companies and, uh, you know, uh, took his property um, transferred it to themselves that, you know, they seduced hmm. him to become the part of it just to get the licenses. But everything I know about this man and I know about Amy is that he embraced life. Zamora said that he lit up the room. He came in there. He wasn't part of this cabal. Amy has suffered ultimately more than anybody I know as a result of those practices. And that email she sent to the city could not have been easy. And Amy is an innocent party as there ever it was one and her boys and they deserve at least that the record showed that it was not a suicide but all it was was really asking the city to just make it uh, historically correct what his cause of death was was when considering motive and amy will you ever stop seeking this justice never not not until it's done i i I will fight until Biker gets justice and my sons receive the opportunities that their father left for them. So that's why I'm here and I'm telling my story and they either have to be pressured into it or shamed into it. I, I don't know, but um, I, I'm not going to stop until I we figured out what happened to Biker and I get my property back and even people admitting they were wrong and they didn't do their jobs. I, I, I won't stop until, you know, um, um, justice is served. And, you know, there's, I intend to see this to the end. For better or worse, here we are today, still dealing with amounts to a government that will not take an honest look at what that is. This is not going to go away. 
time seems to drag on with this, but every time something happens where they ignore our rights, it just makes Amy's situation more obvious as to the conditions and the seriousness of her case. Listeners can find out more about this at justiceforamy.org. That's justiceforamy.org, J-U-S-T-I-C-E, the number four, Amy, A-M-Y, dot org. Thank you for listening to Amy's Story. Join us next week to find out if the San Diego Police Department has reopened the case and to hear what was in the autopsy, the handwriting analysis, and the conclusions reached by the Armorist Private Detective Agency. Until then, remember, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And it's our responsibility to make sure that our government serves us with integrity.